0: 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, Uh, there is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and this is what it says. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he says these things. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once... I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, and danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast on the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, forever, knows that I am not lying. I wish someone would have shared that verse with me probably 18 years ago as I started my ministerial journey. Because I would have found another job. They kept that one from me. And yet, now over the years, such passages have become sweet, sweet medicine to my weary soul as a pastor. The realization that the things that happen to us as elders and pastors is not something new only to us, but it is literally something that happened with the ultimate lead pastor, Jesus, and has continued in the lives of every faithful pastor since then. As one of my doctoral professors used to say to me after reading this verse, is that if you follow Jesus, then show me your back. There are lots of people who are claiming to be followers of Jesus and yet their backs look nothing like the Apostle Paul's and their back looks nothing like our Lord and Savior Jesus who should have died at the hands of the whipping post of the Romans. And yet God is still calling men and calling women to all be in ministry, and yet he has called some for a specific role within the church. This past few weeks, on March the 4th, I celebrated my 14th year into going into ministry. In regards to that, there are some things that I will never forget. There are things that I wish that I could remove from my mind, And yet, simultaneously, there are things that I hope that God would allow me to keep my mind into old age to remember and to hold on to many of these things. One of the things I will never forget is the call in the middle of the night, calling me to come to the hospital and walking into that hospital room to find a young mother holding her prematurely born dead baby. And passing it from family member to family member as she spoke to it as though it was alive and asked me as the pastor if I wanted to hold her baby. And it was that big. I'll never forget the call I got from a former youth student who had a baby and her husband worked Third shift as she worked during the day, and he had accidentally suffocated their precious baby. and they called me to do the funeral. I'll never forget the the moments of helping people through a lot of pain and through a lot of suffering. And yet simultaneously, over the last 18 years of my life, um, I'll never forget the day that uh, Justin Crow walked into my life. And I was wondering why at the church where people barely wore anything, why he was wearing a shirt and tie every Sunday, And I just thought that that was really weird. He was more dressed up than all the pastors. I'll never forget the day that uh, Stephanie Crow busted through those doors in that chapel. And I looked at my best friend as he wept, as his wife walked in the aisle. And he gave me the opportunity to say, this is your wife. You better take care of her. I'll beat down your house. I'll never forget Matt and Lindsay Flanders walking into a Bible study class that I taught for young professionals. And they, I, they stood out to me because they were the only people in that room carrying a baby that you know is Garrett. But I got to speak to him and, and teach his parents before he even knew what I was saying. I'll never forget the day that Matt Flanders asked me to baptize him. I'll never forget the call of dads in this room calling me to say, Well, we messed up. We're pregnant. We're the first baptism at Mission Church. Brandon Reed. In a pool. Because we're too cool for baptistries." The list could go on and on here of both times of great pain, great suffering, and yet there are things I will never forget that bring me great joy to the pastorate. Through all of this, I want you to know that there have been dark nights in my life, even in the last week where I've simply said, is this really worth it? I can go make a lot of money somewhere else and be a great Sunday school teacher and not have to deal with any of this. Is the gospel worth it? Is the gospel call worth it? And though I will never forget that baby, and though I will never forget those baptisms, I was reminded once again to not forget this. It is not about the preacher. It is not about the elders. It is not about a man named the Apostle Paul. And it is not about a young preacher, teacher, elder named Timothy. It is about Jesus, our lead pastor, our lead shepherd, it is about him. And yet in his good and perfect sanctifying will he has laid out before us a responsibility of qualified men within the life of the church to continue to under shepherd under him and his authority. As my good preacher friend up in Barstown, Kentucky says, I'm not a shepherd. I'm a sheep dog. How true is that? How true is that? Today we come to the context of Paul addressing this young preacher. Um, It's believed by some that uh, Timothy was intimidated, uh, that Timothy had a hard job to do, uh, that accusations would be made against this young man. And so the elder, um, meaning older, elder, And this way I'm using it momentarily, um, the spiritual father of this young Timothy commends, reaches out to this young man and is encouraging him and is telling him, equipping him on what he is to do within the churches and the responsibility of the elders. Let us not forget, even as we cover this text today, Is that one of the major things that is taking place within this young church, in the church at Ephesus, was the very fact that false leaders, false pastors, unqualified men had infiltrated the church and their false teachings had caused division and distorted understanding of the gospel within the church. This was not coming from the outside. It was coming from the inside. It was coming from the man standing right here, or the men standing behind the, the pulpit, leading people astray. And so first thing I want to say to you this morning, man, if you have been abused by a pastor, I am deeply sorry. If you have believed that any of us elders here at Mission have abused you in any way, I am truly sorry, because I know that feeling as well. I know that feeling. But also, ladies and gentlemen, we must be mature enough to realize that that sheep bite too. And you're the sheep. So what does Paul do? In this certain situation, there is pastoral abuse taking place. There is false teaching that is taking place. Not only in this church, but you can read many of Paul's letters. This is the things that he is addressing. And he's saying that, that these false teachers need to be removed. And that qualified men need to be in the congregation in order to center the congregation back to Jesus. That the center of the church is Jesus, our lead pastor, our, our leader, our great pastor. Good and perfect shepherd. And yet, while he is away preparing a place for his bride, he has left the responsibility of qualified men to steward the church. And this is our context. To understand the church, we need to define what that is. And so primarily I'm going to use a definition that we see within First Timothy chapter three, verse 14. And I believe Pastor Todd will actually preach on this here in a few weeks. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, if you have your Bible in front of me, it says this as a description of the church. If I delay, I, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. As I mentioned last week, because... Of the created order, Adam and Eve, God created man and woman equal in value and worth and dignity, but that He gave specific complementary roles to be exercised within the home, marriage, and within the household of God, the church. Since the husband is called to be the servant-sacrificial leader in the home, then this means also that he is calling servant-sacrificial male leaders to help oversee and to govern the church. Within the Scriptures, a lot of people don't know this, but within the Scriptures, there's primarily two roles within the church. To make things function, man, and I'm not saying that this is all the wrong, has created extra things. But the only two specific roles that we see within the church is that of, of elder and that of deacon, which we will talk about next week. But one of the things that we also need to understand, specifically from our convictions here at at Mission Church and what we see inside the Bible, and there's lots of scholarly and uh, support from behind this, is to understand, brothers and sisters, that when we use the term elder, we are not talking about a person wearing black pants, a white shirt, and a tie, riding a bike. We're also not talking about a really old person, your elders, okay? Okay? But according to the scripture, what we see is is that within the, the, the scripture, in the order of scripture, is that there are synonyms for the role in which myself, Pastor Justin, and Pastor Todd hold. It is the role of elder, pastor, also known as an overseer, or bishop. All of those words inside the New Testament are synonyms for the exact same position and role. It is is like me calling um, a doctor, a doctor. Well, physician, right? Medical professional. All three of those are adjectives describing what? The same role. And so we see this inside of the New Testament. Many times I grew up in a church where everybody was brother, sister. Did you grow up in that church? Also, you never call the pastor anything but like Pastor Hightower. That's his last name. You don't ever call him Pastor James, right? It's Pastor Hightower. Um, And and in that, though, we never use the term elder, okay? And so there can be a little bit of nuance in, in trying to understand these things. And yet the thing is, is that if you are a pastor, then you are also an elder, if you're an elder, you're also an overseer. If you're an overseer, then you're also what's called a bishop. And so we see inside of this passage, even if you're looking inside the ESV there, at the top of chapter 3, the 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 you know the editors of these scriptures help us uh, to put uh, titles up at the top, and it says qualifications for who? Overseer. Well, it's speaking to the role of pastor and elder. That's why here at at, at Mission, you will sometimes hear us call each other, um, hey, this is Pastor Justin, he's one of the elders at the church. Sometimes we call Elder Todd, you know, uh, Pastor, this is, I'll introduce Pastor Todd to somebody and say, uh, this is Todd, he's one of the elders at Mission Church. That doesn't mean he's not a pastor, it means he's, he's all of those things. He's pastor, elder, all of that is the same role, it is the same position. Also, one of the things that you need to understand inside of Scripture is typically the word pastor is only used a few times. It's most commonly the term elders. In almost every case, this role is mentioned. It is always in the plural form. This means that from what we can gather from the Scripture, that within every church, there should be what we call a plurality of elders. There should be a plurality of pastors. How many of you grew up in a church, and we're going to go charismatic just for a minute. How many of you grew up in a church where there was one guy named Pastor, and that was it? Right? Many of us inside this room. That's even very common inside of today's culture. But I want you to understand, is that's not what we see inside of Scripture, we don't see this scripture of there being one man who does most of the preaching and who, who, who does all of the decision making for the church. What's even happened, and I, I think Pastor Justin will probably get into this some next week, he will now because I'm mentioning it, um, is that what we've done inside of most of our, our culture, especially in the Baptist life, is how many of you guys have ever been in a part of a church split involving deacons, Right? So what's happened is, and in many cases, deacons have been edified to the place of being an elder or a pastor, and that it was never their intention and their role, and so there becomes this power struggle between the pastor, singular, and multiple deacons, right? I've got pastor friends right here in 2019 that pretty much can't go to the bathroom unless they ask their deacons for permission. I mean, it is... Crazy, okay? Crazy, unhealthy situation, okay? And so we need to understand that there is this plurality within the household of God, that it is not a one man show. We see this even within the Trinity, right? This complementarian position and roles. That there are equal in value and dignity, and yet in the plurality of pastors, there are different roles that take place within that. This is a beautiful, frustrating thing to have a plurality of elders. It would be much easier if that one singular pastor just makes these decisions, cares, all these sorts of things, and yet the plurality is there to protect the sheep but it is also to protect and to guide and to keep accountable each of the elders, right? Because they have as much voice into the life of this church. But we like to say and point to the guy who talks the loudest and the most, that in some way that he has greater voice overall. And the thing is, is that he, he doesn't. He doesn't. So we see these synonyms, um, but uh, and there are lots of confusing things out there in the world and church polity. That means church government. You will find lots of churches who who say that they have pastors. I mean, they you got youth pastors. This is the pastor of lighting over here. Uh, this is the pastor of dance. Um, this is the youth pastor. This is the children's pastor. This is for gray-haired men that. Part to the left pastor. This is for gray-haired women who part to the right, um, all, all these sorts of ideas of what a pastor is, and yet they try to equate and say that they're not elders. Our biblical conviction is, is that's, that's impossible. We're never going to function like that here at mission, is that if you're a pastor, you're an elder. If you're an elder, you're a pastor. OK? We are equal in our value and dignity and yet with even the pastors there can be different roles Pastor Justin here handles our discipleship and missional communities. Um, Pastor Todd handles um, our, our missions specifically. Um, we all have different functioning roles and responsibility. But in order for this process to be healthy and for there to be accountability and for it to stay centered in the gospel, then there must be qualifications for these elders. And this is exactly what Paul lists out for Timothy okay I want to apologize the rest of this sermon there are lots of lists okay take it up with Jesus because the Bible is full of lists all right not expecting you to write all of these downs this first list is verbatim from what you see here don't freak out F- like mission people who've been here a long time I've got 18 in this first list okay I'm not going to preach on every one of these, okay, unless you want me to, all right? I will submit to you, all right? Here's what we see. Um, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, it is it's saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer. The first thing is, is that within the church, prayerfully, hopefully, uh, the qualification of an elder is that he desires to be that, Okay? He desires. That's a pretty good thing. I know of men who have no desire to be elders, but in their church polity are elected as them against their will. Do you understand the danger in that frame? I don't want to be an elder. I don't want to be an elder. Oh, we're electing you as an elder. I guess I'm an elder. (laughs) Right? Within this, this is a, notice what it says though, that this desire, he, he, If he aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, that he aspires for this. So the first thing that we see from the scripture here is that this man, a a gospel-centered man within the church, the first qualification is, is that he desires that. He's had something building up within him. Pastor uh, Justin can tell you this. Other men within our church who aspire to be elders, they've heard me say this. If you can do anything else, brother, do it. But if you can't, you better be it, or pursue it at least. The second thing that we see here is, again, that this is a man. It's a a man. All of the language here is all pointing toward the direction of a man. This goes back to last week's sermon, and I'm not going to re-preach that. You can go back and listen to those sorts of things. We're not anti-women here. There are lots of things that women can do. They can be ministers. They can be missionaries. They can be all these sorts of things. They believe, we believe that they can be deacons. Again, you'll hear about that next week. But they cannot hold the role of pastor. We don't make that rule. The Lord does, the authority of Scripture does. So he must have a desire. He must be a man. He must be above reproach. Repro- repro- excuse me. It must be above reproach. That means that, that this man is, is working on his character issues, and none of these things is God expecting any of these men to be perfect, but they are seeing progressive and seeing these traits swell up from this man. Another, uh, number four, is able to teach, which I'll, I'll get to that more in just a minute. Number five, he can't be a new convert. This person's got to be a mature Christian. Okay, He's got to be a mature Christian. Number 6. Timothy or Paul tells Timothy, he's got to be a husband of one wife. Literally in the Greek, it's a one woman man. All right? So what is this saying? Is it saying that they got to be married? No. It's not saying that they got to be married because if it is the case then you got a problem with Jesus, you got a problem with Paul, you got a problem with Timothy because they were all single, right? But what he is saying is is that if if this man is married, that he is not a polygamist. Okay? But it also carries with it connotations that this man is sexually pure. That he is a one-woman man. That his standard of beauty and what he is pursuing is found not in multiple women, but it is found in one woman, his wife. We can see also that this man a qualification is is that man. he's a good daddy. He's a good dad. He's a successful father. His, his kids love him. His kids respect him, except for between the ages of 13 and about 18, we give them a pass, all right? But overall, there is a submissive children. Number eight, he manages family well. He manages his family well. What does that mean? He provides for, he organizes, he loves. He loves all these sorts of things. He manages them well. And the the scripture tells us here again, Paul is saying, hey, here's the deal. If an elder, if a pastor can't manage his home, brother's got no business helping to manage the church. Okay? Now, as church members, you need to get this. You need to understand this difference between this role and in your typical job, okay? Managing my wife and children, us other elders, managing our wife and children, is a qualification. I can be disqualified if I don't do that, okay? So let me equate that to what you do, all right? Many of you inside this job, man, if you're husband or wife, if you guys hate each other, guess what you get to do? You get to keep your job, all right? Pretty much whatever you do inside of your life, as long as it's not illegal or whatsoever, you can be a terrible, wretched person, and your wife and kids, all those sorts of things, they can, they can hate you, and guess what? You can show back to work on Monday and work and keep working because nobody really cares about what's happening at home. But for the elder, for the pastor, if he doesn't manage his home, then guess what should happen? He doesn't repent, and this sin continues on. Then he loses his role. He loses his responsibility. And many members, many Christians, don't understand the importance of that responsibility in managing his own home before he manage, or before you want him to manage all of your homes. He has a priority family. And if he's married, it's them. Okay, number nine, sober-minded. What does that mean? And that he has good judgment. That that he has, he's emotionally stable. Okay, that he's not just all over the place inside of his mind. That number ten, that he's self-controlled that he's sound in his decision-making. Number 11, that he's he's not a drunkard. And I think that you can imply that that he's not addicted to anything, all right? Or that he's at least fighting the addictions inside of his life. Number 12, he's not a lover of money, all right? There are some people... And Paul even addresses this inside the scripture. We see this also in modern times. There, there are men who pursue the pastorate and thinking that they are going to be rich. And guess what? Some of them have done that. But the scripture tells a pastor and elder not to be a lover of money, that he is financially content, he pays his bills. Number 13, he's respectable. Right? As Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's a respectable person. Number 14, that he's hospitable. Now, a lot of times in the South, we'll even hold workshops and clinics within churches talking about hospitality. Specifically, they'll be driven toward women about how you should fold your napkins before company comes over. All right? We'll tell people they have the gift of hospitality, But I want you to understand from a biblical standpoint, the idea of being hospitable is not your ability to cook, clean, and to make sure everything is, you know, pioneer, womaned up. um, So when company comes, everything looks nice. Okay? Hospitality from this standpoint is, is is this man, does he have relationships with non-Christians? Or does he treat them like the enemy? Is he welcoming To non-Christians, in his life, in his home, in his work, in his community, is he constantly engaging and being hospitable toward non-believers, or does he have kind of the stiff-arm mentality toward them? Number 15, that he's not violent. He's not known as a violent man. Number 16, um, that he's gentle, okay? That he's gentle, that he's kind, gracious, and loving. But I also want to say, inside of this gentleness, that there is this sweet spot that is often difficult for us as pastors. We're reading from a pastor to a pastor, aren't we? And what did he do in chapter 1? He named people in the church, okay, and told the church to do what? Get them out, all right? We forget, we get this picture of Jesus, and if you've seen lots of Jesus movies, typically blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus, kind of ah, weirdly smiling, okay? And we get this picture of Jesus never raising his voice or never being stern. And the thing is, is that I think if you do, are a healthy reader of the scripture, you can't paint that picture always of Jesus. Now, he's not all, all the way walking around yelling either. But this Jesus is the one that looked at people and said, you brood of vipers, you turn them into twice the sons of hell that you are. Right? He looks at his friend, Peter, and says what? Satan. All right? My mama did that to me once. That'll change you real quick. Okay? She did. She called me out. She called me Satan driving in the car one time because I backtalked her. Satan! You will not have my son. No, you won't, Mommy. I'm sorry. I spoke in tongues backwards, too. I was like, I'm sorry for what i have done. All right? (laughs) I was backtracking. Okay? So though he's not violent, he is gentle. And the next one, not quarrelsome, meaning he's peaceable. He's not trying to be divisive over things that aren't worthy of being divisive of. But you also have to understand that there is... Even in the episodes of Scripture, a very fine line in that because there is a point in time where you have to tell people things that you do not want to tell them. And that's hard. It's not received well, let me tell you. Number 18, the last one here. He's well thought of by outsiders. He's respected by non-Christians. This is the list that we see inside of these These verses here inside of this book. Now notice what is not here. There is not a long list of resume building skills. Notice, it it is not a list of skills, it's a list of Christian character. Have you ever paid attention to that? That the the, the only skill that is leaded, left inside of, of, of this passage of Scripture is that he has the ability to teach. That he has the ability to teach. So you get this big, long list of his character— Uh, of qualifications, and so you find men that fit all of this, and the only skill that he has to have, though, is can he rightly divide the word? Can he preach doctrine? Can he set people straight? Does he know this Bible? Does he have Jesus at the center of his life? Is he constantly pulling you in, tapping you sometimes with the shepherd's hook, other time using the crook of the shepherd's hook to grab you by the neck, to center you back in, not to himself... But to the very Word of God, can he teach effectively? Okay? Now, there's got to be grace in this. As Tim Keller would say, every pastor, his first 200 to 250 sermons, they are all terrible. All right? I started preaching when I was 16, before I was a Christian. How messed up is that? I literally, from the pulpit, preached a sermon on the three little pigs. As my entire illustration throughout it. And yet no one stopped me. Okay? There is a craft to the teaching and preaching, but it is does this man, not that he will get up every Sunday as I do and, and preach as often as I do, as I teach as often, Pastor Todd is a great example of that. Pastor Todd is a solid, expositional teacher and preacher. Brother, line by line, he is self-taught Greek. He has never been to seminary, and Brother taught himself how to read Greek. Sometimes, even in church service, he's not in here, so we're going to brag of the things of God in him since he's not in here, is that he will be sitting in here, and as you're through the ESV, that brother's got his Greek New Testament, reading that. That's his church Bible. I do not know Greek, and I've got my doctorate degree, and that brother, on his own free time, learned Greek. Okay? Okay? But if you were to ask Pastor Todd, hey, hey, Pastor Todd, and we have to be very careful, it's a running joke between us elders, is we work out months in advance before Pastor Todd preaches because the idea of me calling him, like, like I had to call Pastor Justin a month ago and say on a Friday, hey, bro, you're up. He would get a stomach virus, I guarantee you. He would not be here. Okay? And yet... Man, if you're part of his MC, that brother loves you. Man, he loves the Word of God. He knows that Word. And he works a full-time job plus. Brother works 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Doesn't get paid a dime from you and me. And yet, I guarantee you, even in the last week, as he has worked that many hours, he has probably simultaneously given that many hours to you. Now, Pastor Justin's trying to take my job every week. Okay? So that's why I keep giving him the hard passages. (laughs) Now, you you think you're bad, (laughs) preach on this. (laughs) <laughs> they'll hate you now, right? <laughs> no, the, the reality is, I mean, uh, I, I was here, I heard Pastor Justin's first sermon, and man, how God has grown you, brother. I told somebody this last week, if I die in a car wreck, one thing is for sure, Mission Church, it it no longer needs me. You do not need me. I ain't going nowhere. (laughs) So you stuck with me like a mole. (laughs) But you don't need me. You do not need me. And I can't tell you, maybe that freaks out some people, but I can't tell you what the relief that is. Because it's not about me. It's not about me. I want you to get this, gentlemen, specifically men in this room, and ladies. This list, do you know what Paul is describing to Timothy? How every Christian should be. Except for the teaching. This list is of godly character. We should not be blown away and go, well, I don't have to manage my family That's just for the elders. I don't have to show hospitality to a non-Christian. That's just for the pastors. I don't have to be respectable. Don't put that on me. The reality is, is that this list is what he's, all he is doing is describing Christians. But these guys can also teach. Out of the Christians, these guys can teach. We get through them, spiritual gift, the teaching, preaching, so they get to do that. That's the only thing that separates you. And so that's why we have said over and over and over and over and over again, specifically to the men inside this room, is brothers in this room, if you aspire, and we pray that you do, if you think we will only have three elders in this church for the rest of our existence, that is not true. We are constantly pleading with the Lord to bring more qualified men to this. And yet, brothers, if you do not desire it or aspire to it, I want you to know that our desire is that every Every man inside of this room would meet the requirements of what it means to be an elder, even if he is never called to do it and given the title. If the title is impressive, spend a week with me. Get the emails I get. Get the text messages I get. All right? Again, not all bad. They're just sometimes at really bad moments when I'm trying to watch a movie. <laughs> what do I do with this? Oh, that's really encouraging. All right. But it's all part of it. And I want you to know it's a joy. What are the responsibility of the elders? Quickly. Can't go through all of these in great detail. The responsibility of the elders, not, but I think that this is very important because I think we've created a culture inside of American Christianity where there are responsibilities placed upon the elders that are not found in the Bible. Okay? What are the responsibilities? Here are a few of them. Number one, we are to pray for you, especially when you're sick. It's what James 5.14 says. If any of you is sick, let them call the elders of the church and by letting them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The second thing is is again that we're supposed to teach. This is our main responsibility. Is to teach and preach. We see this in James chapter 3 verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We're to be at most authority and maybe the only time that we have authority as your elders is when our Bible is open. We're to preach Teach, preach, teach, preach, teach, preach, teach. This is our main responsibility. We're to be servant leaders. Number three, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. So I exhort, exhort you elders among you as fellow elder, elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well. As a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive unfading crown of glory. We are to be servant leaders, but, ladies and gentlemen, that does not mean that we are to be your slaves. Pastors are not butlers. We are not at your becking call. That is a response. That's an expectation that members place upon elders that is simply not seen inside the scripture. Jesus himself would see members coming toward him, and what would he do? (laughs) I'm getting in the boat, (laughs) right? (laughs) And I want you to know, some of y'all, I'm looking for the boat, right? I mean, we, we see this, Jesus is going to the mountain, right? If me and if I allow my brother-in-law and Adam York to come with me to the woods, because we hunt in the woods. Adam, uh, Brian York, I mean, Brian hunts from a back porch. But we actually hunt. If they're so blessed to, ent- and to come with me um, on that as that a special anointing I've placed upon those brothers. But I want you to know, if I'm in the woods and you're texting calling me, gotta get away we're servant leaders faithful ones are we're sacrificial faithful ones are but we're not butlers we're not maids we're not slaves we're servant leaders how do we serve you we lead you and how do we lead you with their Bible's open. Okay? Number four, protect. Acts 20, 28 through 29, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Do you understand the seriousness? Essentially, God is saying to the elders, hey, I've got to go take care of this. Here's my wife. Make sure she doesn't die. I'll be back for her. We're to guard you from the wolves. What is Paul doing in this letter? Beware false teachers. Beware false teachers. You know one of the things that, that pastors do is is I heard a preacher say one time, and it's so true, is that we shoot wolves. You know what the difficulty about shooting wolves is? Is they're wearing sheep's clothing. And it takes time to know that they're wolves. But let me tell you, when it's clear that they are, we take them out. We're left with no choice. Number five, we are to equip you. Ephesians 4:11 through12 preached a sermon on this. Few months ago, and he gave to the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, it is not our responsibility to do all the ministry in this place. I can tell you story after story about disgruntled people because the pastors wouldn't do everything. Okay? And they get really mad. But it's not our responsibility to do everything. It's our responsibility to help you do what God has called you to do within the confines of the body of Christ. What we'll see next week is that some, inside the book of Acts, what took place was the members were putting so many expectations on the elders that the elders couldn't do what God had called them to do, and that's to pray and to preach. And so what does he say to do? You've got to appoint deacons. And Justin will tell you this next week is a good understanding for deacon is is they wait tables. That's the picture. They're servants. They they, they don't carry any authority. They they help the pastors handle widows, handle the sick, handle the money of the church. They, they help those things. Why? So that the pastors can be about what they're supposed to be doing. If, if I'm so engaged in c- civilian affairs, then guess what I can't do? I can't be looking for the wolves that are coming to destroy us. But the expectations, and where many people, because again, I understand pastoral abuse. But you also understand there's such a thing as called member abuse, and if we get so and people have such an expectation, man, this is you got to be this anytime I call, um, anytime that that I need you, this is where you've got to be, and this is this is what you've got to do, and all all these sorts of things. Then I want you to know, you will not see that in scripture, and it causes more danger because who could be sneaking in when we're to have the what's the word here? Overseers, your ground troops, okay? Your ground troops, and we're dropping bombs. Okay? You got to get that picture. Okay? So, quickly, how do you respond to your pastors? Big la- list here. I'm going to read there. Okay? How do you respond to your pastors? How do you respond to your elders? And again, none of this is, is major criticism toward you. Again, I, I love being here. I know what it's like to be in a church where you did not want to be. I love here. I, I pray that the Lord would allow me to die being an elder here. Number one, and there's lots of, I did the Baptist thing, lots of peas here. I don't know why. But uh, number one, fight the drift of petty criticisms of your pastor's while understanding biblical concerns, okay? Fight the drift of petty criticisms of your pastors while understanding biblical concerns. There is a major difference there. Number two, which, again, this may be one of those passages that I have Pastor Justin preach, is that it talks about how much you're supposed to pay me or us. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So get ready, Pastor Justin, on that day, because it will be quite awkward. It says provide for their needs, You can skip over here later on today after the basketball games, and you can read that. Number three, preach the gospel to your elders, because as you forget the gospel, so do we. Number four, healthy praise of God's work in your pastors. Healthy praise of God's work in your pastors. I have met a lot of arrogant pastors. I have borderline been one. But I've never met one pastor who is seeking to be faithful, who was ever encouraged too much. I've never met one. Number five, have a biblical perspective of your pastors. What do I mean by that? Again, many members believe pastors are a junk drawer position. Meaning, they believe elders are Jesus, the word of God, that we're infallible. But I want you to know that pastors make mistakes all of the time. We are not your superheroes. Get rid of the pedestal. Respect the position. And as long as they're being faithful, you respect those men, that plurality. But you've got to get rid of the pedestal. You've got to get rid of the Messiah complex that you place upon us. Because I'm telling you, you place us so high and when we let you down. That's a long way to fall. And I can't tell you how many people have told me they will never return to a church because they were so hurt by a pastor. And the thing is, is we don't know that pastor's side of the story. Number six, point out to them their sin and pursue their repentance. It's okay. It's, again, a biblical thing. You should point it out to them. We're going to see this in First Timothy chapter 5. Number seven, protect them, their hearts, their reputation, and this is a big one, their family. You want to see a pastor come after you? Come after his wife and his kids. And it's the responsibility of these elders to protect you, but it is the responsibility of the members to protect that pastor and his family. Because again, if the man loses his family, what does he also lose? His job and yet in many churches you believe or not not you many churches they believe if you hire a pastor you have also hired his wife and you haven't you haven't their wives excuse me you haven't you have got to protect his family Because there will be people who will try to destroy it. Come after the kids. How many of you guys know the PK? That's preacher kid talk. Where kids are really messed up. Because of the church and what they did to their daddy. And their mama. Number eight. Pastors are people too. Did you know that? No S on this chest. Did you know that pastors are people Guess what? We get tired. Anybody been tired? Dog tired before? How do you act when you get tired? You're not nice. Guess how we act when we're not tired? We're not nice. Okay? Man, I have gone into meetings with some of you, and it had nothing to do with you, but I've been snappy toward you. You know why? Because I'm tired. I'm, I mean, my wife has me on every diet known to man. It's like my blood sugar is like woo, right? I go to meals and y'all all eating carbs, and I'm like, hey, my wife won't let me eat it. All right, <laughs> I'm just mad at you. I'm jealous. I'm coveting because you're slamming that pizza. And I'm like, I like lettuce, <laughs> lettuce is good, right? I'm eating air. Mmm, <laughs> en- enjoy those beans, <laughs> right? Guess what? We're tired. Guess what? Pastors get tired. We get sad. We get depressed as as the church is expecting us to, to manage everything. Guess what we also have to do? We're also running to sports. We try that. We're also running we're juggling bills we got to pay bills we're're we're, we're juggling man, what are we going to eat tonight like do we do we plan this week uh, what about date night what what about uh, uh this what about what about this what about this what about this and simultaneously we're getting all the texts from you all right got a hangnail yeah that's cool. bite it off <laughs> so back at two thirty or something I, I it's like okay, cool. <laughs> Cool, there's a meme. Uh, there's a joke I don't even understand. I don't know that that's appropriate. <laughs> that's weird. You just sent me that, and now it's going to show up in my covenant eyes, and I'm going to have to tell my 14 accountability partners. <laughs> okay? We're trying to, this is what we do, is spin plates. The thing is, you got to help us only spin the plates that are the biblical ones. Fifty percent of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could. But they don't believe they have any other way of making a living. Fifty percent of ministers starting out will not last five years. Only one out of every ten ministers will actually retire a minister in some form. And if you've not paid any attention to the last few years, there's been suicide, 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 suicide. And those men were pastors. 1,700 pastors, according to leaders.com, churchleaders.com, 1,700 pastors leave the ministry every month. Every month. According to the article, many of the reasons were, or or some of the reasons, one of, excuse me, one of the reasons was more your failures, but that's not the, the, the overarching statistic. The main reason why they leave is over discouragement, failure, loneliness, financial pressure, anger, and burnout. Number nine, and last. You should pray for your elders. As we often say here at Mission, where the scripture is clear, it's really easy to be clear. But where the scripture is not clear... It's really tough, and we try our very best to make biblical-based decision off of biblical wisdom, but you need to get this. Jesus is infallible. The Word of God is infallible, but your pastors are very fallible. We make mistakes all the time. I have apologized to many of you in this room. Many of you, and if you stick around, it will probably all be, be all of you. I'm still waiting on you to apologize to me, but I'm trying to lead. We're people, and I appreciate that. Most of the time, really, most of the time, you guys are extremely gracious and the stories I hear about from other pastors, I'm just like, Ooh. yeah. So thankful. So thankful. I love you. I know Pastor Justin loves you. I know Pastor Todd loves you. And God loves you. And one of the ways that God loves you, and it's the craziest plan, but one of the ways that God loves you is he puts qualified men in your life to Pastor, Shepherd, Elder, Overseer, you and me. Because you know who my pastor is, pastors are? It's Pastor Todd and Pastor Justin. And if you think they are yes men, then again, spend a week with me. It's a plurality. And I'm so blessed and humbled be a part of it. And I pray that you feel that is the case for you. Let's pray.